0: What's going on, guys? I'm back for the second time having a discussion here with Levi, or Dr. Johnson, and today we're going to be talking about athlete coachability and specifically the relationship between a coach and an athlete where that coach might be having some problems making progress with that athlete, the different reasons why this happens, um, the different solutions to this issue. Typically, I think this is often a problem with the coach, not with the athlete, especially when we're talking about an athlete who is eager and willing and trying to do what they can. And they're just not getting the grasp on what the coach is talking about in just different ways. We can remedy that. I hope this is helpful. Um, We're excited to be back talking with you guys. Pay attention to our social media pages. We're going to be putting a lot more information out there um, regarding programs that we're offering and episodes that we've got coming. We also are looking to those places to answer questions for Q&A episodes that we're going to be doing soon. So hope you appreciate the show, and I'll uh, we'll talk to you soon. Guys, we are so excited to finally announce our first mentor group that we're going to run through the Elevate Trainer Development Platform. These mentor groups are going to run for two... Months and we're only going to take 10 people at a time over the course of that two months We're going to do a weekly one-on-one zoom call with me There'll also be a weekly group zoom call with the entire class where we'll get to talk about different things You guys are working on and strategies for making improvement. There's going to be video coaching feedback where you'll actually video yourself in a coaching session and then we'll give you feedback on the next weekly one-on-one. There'll also be various assignments and workshops that will be specific to what you're working on and where you're at. It's $250 for the two months. We're gonna make announcements on our Instagram page and our Facebook page on how to get in contact with us, register for that kind of thing. So if you're interested in that sort of thing or you know somebody that might be, make sure you pay attention to those platforms or let the people who you think might benefit from it know so they can get signed up. Dude,
1: yeah,
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay, talking again, um, I, today we're going to talk about coachability, specifically coachability um, of an athlete, their ability to respond, their ability to learn, De- ir- irregardless of the, I think you mean regardless, yeah, regar- Now st- regardless, <laughs> regardless, we're starting off on the wrong foot, Levi. Regard- it's always the right foot yeah. regardless the of foot. the complexity of the movement um, or the skills that the, the, are required to complete the movement really just how people respond to coaching and is it more important to be a naturally gifted, coordinated <laughs> a skilled athlete or is it actually more on the coach itself
1: yeah, I think there's a there's a large interplay between those things. Um, I think, I'd, like, obviously, the best-case scenario is you have someone who's incredibly genetically gifted and incredibly attentive to their coaching and the feedback they're receiving so that they can make those performance gains. And I think that's probably where you see, like, the most – high-end elite athletes in the world. Like, those are the Olympians. is people who are genetically gifted and, if you're going to say coachability, have that coachability. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think there's a lot that goes into coachability. I think there's... uh, A large part of it is a mind state. It's not just inherent capacity for it.
0: Yeah. um, I I agree to... I agree to a, a certain extent. I think it's interesting when you started to give examples of athletes and you and you mentioned the Olympics. I think, and from what I can see and what I've looked at, watching the Olympics and working with athletes, sometimes the most – I don't want to use the word coachable athletes because that's kind of the idea or the term we're trying to define right now or at least discuss the, – the athletes that are eager – to learn eager to get better and will do whatever you ask them to do are often coming from more niche sports and if you think about it a majority of sports we see in like the olympics or on the olympic stage that get a lot of attention there are what we would refer to as niche and don't have the massive year-round following like international soccer or the nfl or baseball or basketball whatever it is you know it's it's these people who they're truly doing it because they love to play the game. Whereas players that I've worked with who are working on their draft stock for major league baseball, or who are trying to get picked up by a new team because they were released by one in the NFL, they want to do better. They want to learn, but man, it really takes a lot to change their ways. And so I think it's, Exactly what you said. It's a mindset, but I also think there are are three different types of athletes that we're talking about here. We yeah. should break down that. But also, what is the role of the coach? And how quick should we be to say like, oh, that athlete isn't coachable, or that athlete is? You know, I I've I've, I've tried to fix this. I've tried to make them better at this movement. I've tried to make them more kinesthetically aware in this position, and they're not doing it, or oh, they don't listen, or oh, they're not capable. Like, so where is that intersect? And when do we need to start talking to the coach about, like, hey, your toolbox isn't deep enough.
1: Yeah. I want to roll back to what you said about, like, the draft. Uh, someone who's working towards, you know, improving their draft um, and the, where, they, where they're trying to be in those kind of big sports. Like, like the, N- the big four. Yeah. yeah, like NBA, baseball, football. I think Uh, hockey is one of them. Hockey. Probably soccer, I'm sure, is that way as well. Not in the United States, where (laughs) where, where it matters. (laughs) Not in the United States. Um, But those really big sports, and I think the thing that's behind those that are not behind these other niche sports, like what you were just saying, is money. Right. And so you... Which you think would be the motivating factor, but... To get better. But but it is. It's
0: money that's the motivating factor, not necessarily how good they are, but they're already so good that they struggle. Exactly.
1: They're already... They're fighting for like decimal points of percentage improvement, mm-hmm. like hundreds or thousandths percent of improvement mm-hmm. versus like three to five percent improvement on something. Yeah. Like where we talk about like barbell athletes, I'll use that just because it's a super easy comparison because everything is number based usually mm-hmm. with the exception of like bodybuilding stuff, which is much more subjective. But like let's take a power lifter, power lifter, maybe they want to improve their total by three to five percent Over you could say the period of a year, if they're an elite level power lifter, that's like that's a big improvement for them. Mm -hmm. But still, like a a home run hitter, they might be they might settle for a .002 percent improvement. And is that .002 percent improvement worth the risk of changing what they're already doing because they're already successful?
0: Right. And and so we can talk about this in two directions because from a coaching podcast in terms of we want to be talking to, and obviously we are coaches who work with all kinds of athletes. We have worked with, as we've said before, uh, I've worked with that athlete who's been drafted out of high school into Major League Baseball. I've worked with that athlete that's been cut by one NFL team and is trying to make another team. I've worked with Olympic athletes who are... The starting pitcher for Team USA, and for softball, you know, Masters, youth, weightlifting, ball sports, all of it, and we've come across every type of situation. So I do think it's important to address the difficulties that can come with working with professional-based athletes. Their income, their livelihood is based on that sport, but also the everyday athlete, the. I mean, I would even say pilots here, are majority are just the everyday athlete. They would be the typical gym-goer outside of this scenario. Uh, People at a CrossFit gym, uh, recreational endurance athletes who want to go do a triathlon. So, working with all types of people. So, let's maybe first identify the type of person that we would come across. And then, also, ways or situations that we've encountered or we've tried to work with something. And then, what we would referred to are as somebody would refer to as oh that person's not coachable what, what does that mean and what does that <laughs> look like and what, what are we actually saying there and then we'll, we'll break it down
1: yeah there's there's a lot that's not coachable and I think it comes from a lot of different areas um, but yeah let's let's talk about specific examples so you've done a lot more high level sports training than I have um but I've coached a ton of youth athletics, mm-hmm. um, swimmers from the age of three years old to eighteen to twenty years old. Mm-hmm. Um, currently, I work with you know, youth jujitsu athletes, uh, and it's it's really interesting to see, like what some innate coachability aspects are, because in youth athletes, you don't have so much of the other variables like money, prior expectations of performance Um, so I think that's really it's a really cool area at least in my my mind as to like what what you see naturally and I think naturally you do see some variability Um, just for an example like I talked about I I work with the youth jujitsu athletes there are kids that appear very mentally driven there are kids that that drive waxes and wanes a little bit um you know my one of my sons is one of them (laughs) like it comes and it goes it comes and goes for myself um and then there are ones that are there because their parents are making them be there and that's that's one of the really interesting parts of youth athletics is is that lack of Independence, lack of autonomy in choosing what they do, which is not the case for adults. Mm-hmm. So there's all these different societal and uh, relationships pressures on what people do and how they go about doing things. Um, but within the people that seem highly driven, you get very normal people, you know, very normal. Physiological build, you get people that are extremely athletically built, whether that's big and muscular or slim and fast uh, for whatever sport it is. But you also get people that are atypical. I've had athletes with cerebral palsy, Down syndrome, uh, any number of uh, genetic or neurological disorders that are driven and they're coachable. Um, It's not a situation where just because someone is genetically gifted or born for it that they're motivated to do it or coachable for sure okay
0: so to unpack a little bit of what you said um i think one of the biggest things that you can do as a coach is just recognize everything you said that people aren't robots they all have different personalities. They all have different skill sets. They all have different challenges. They all have different things that they're trying to overcome. Uh, so, understanding that when you go in to interact with people will help you with whatever that interaction is going to look like. Second to that, you talked about all these different types of builds, which would be like uh, this person's purpose built to be a swimmer. And th- if they wanted to be, a great swimmer, they would. They look just like Michael Phelps. Look how long his arms are. Look at it, everything's set up for him. But there is just as many people. You know, maybe not just many people, but there is somebody that has everything going against them, and will outwork that person and will go, you know, just as far or farther than the person who's built for it, just from work ethic alone. So, if regardless of their build or natural ability, I like to look at an athlete and say, hey, we can take this as far, we can get as much progress as you're willing to put in time-wise. And it's often the job of the coach to figure out what the key is to unlock whatever it is that's stopping them from making that progress. And, and you know what is it that motivates them? Because we're talking about a couple people, right? There, there's the non-athlete who can't move well no matter what you're saying. We've all worked with these people. Um, obviously, I spent a lot of time in a CrossFit gym. So, we get a lot of people who, whether it's at a level one seminar or if it's in the gym floor for the four o'clock class, who this is their first exposure to fitness, exercise in general, movement patterns. I mean, they struggle. Like, you would watch them get off the couch and you're like, oh, don't do it like that, let alone pick this thing up off the floor. And you're uh, first off, yeah,
1: we don't tell people not to move that way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we say, there's a better way to do that. There's a
0: better way to do that. All right, fair enough. So we, we see these people. And when you are having trouble getting somebody to move in a more desirable pattern, pick something up a different way, or move in a more optimal way, and you're struggling with that, I oftentimes, you will hear people, I've heard other coaches say it, I've been around them, I've worked with them, oh, this person's not coachable, or they're a terrible mover, or... You know they they don't listen and I I don't I think that's a cop-out okay then there's the different athlete there is a very capable but cocky athlete who you struggle to break into some sort of relationship with and they often just want to do what they've been doing and they're very resistant to change so we're talking about two different types of people but I still think it is more on the coach if you want to call yourself a professional coach than it is on the individual and I'll just explain it like this and then I'll, I'll let you chime in um, I've been in a CrossFit class these are all adults for the most part right been in a CrossFit class where let's say there's ten different people in there and I'm gonna coach and I know them let's say I've been working with them for an extended period of time enough time to say I know them well I will coach those ten different people ten different ways And you hear about this at a high level with guys working with like football players. Some guys, they want to be coached hard, and some guys you have to really kind of bring them in close and take care of them and be softer with. If what your goal is is to get the best out of them, not to just be known as being some hard ass. So I think that's an underrated part of what it means with dealing with somebody that you think has a coachability issue.
1: Yeah, for sure. There's... There's a lot I think that gets put on the athletes that is not necessarily the athlete's fault. Mm-hmm. Um, like what? what again, like, exactly. like what you're saying. Like um, sometimes I would say the cocky athlete that you know is underperforming for what they can do and just wants to keep doing what they're doing. That I think is maybe a little bit more on the athlete, but the people who. Well, somebody or, fostered that yeah, somebody from an early foster. age. Yeah, somebody said,
0: he's badass, so I'm going to let him do what he does because he's winning me games or he's scoring us points. Right. Um, in and the weight room, he's stronger easy than everybody. are people
1: to have on teams mm-hmm. usually or in groups or clubs because they are kind of independent. Yeah,
0: they can tear them apart too.
1: They can. But also, you know if you're one of those coaches that will let them go, let them do that thing, even if they're not maybe getting significantly better they still have the potential to make you look good at competitions or things like that. Maybe not your best, probably not as good as it could be. And so I think that's maybe where some of that fostering takes place. But to talk about the other side of the spectrum, the people that are inherently not as good a movers, they are often some of the hardest workers, in my opinion, I feel yeah. like, you know, I am I'm guilty of this as a as a young coach when I started like I had my swimming athletes those kids were the ones that were inherently bad movers were always the ones that showed up to practice the most and I didn't have the coaching skill set to necessarily make them better or help them out as well as I would like to have or would like to now mm-hmm. um, but they were always there and to me it was always so frustrating so I was like, they always show up. They're such a pain to deal with. I can't get them better. Why are they here? Mm-hmm. And that was—that's not their fault. That's my fault. 100 percent. They were putting in that effort. They were doing their job. They were coming. They were working. I didn't have the skill set at the time to make that happen for them.
0: Yeah, and, and I think honestly that would—that's the most helpful situation right now in this platform talking about this sort of situation. That'll be most helpful to most coaches because when it comes to, and I think it's worth talking about, when it comes to dealing with the person whose maybe attitude is their biggest problem, it's really a different discussion. There, There's some psychology that you need to talk about. There's some counseling type of training that you might be able to get through where you can really, I again, I still think it's more about the coach to say like, what, what is it with this person? How have we gotten to this point? And oftentimes it, it might be, it might, really need a conversation off the gym floor one-on-one with this athlete and let them know, um, hey, the whole reason why we're doing this and having this discussion, which which it's important to maybe circle back, why this all matters, why I'm trying to do this is you changing the way you're going about this is what's going to make you better. You want to get better, right? Yes, of course. They're all going to say yes. So how has it been going? Right? Right up into this point obviously you've gotten some success but there is more there and to get that we're going to have to change so that's working with the person who's who's got maybe even an attitude issue or a guard up or they've been allowed to behave a certain way and if they don't eventually it leads to careers ending before they could have or people not reaching their complete full potential but let let's talk about that athlete who it's interesting you say that because honestly We have all had that experience where we were not equipped enough as a coach in the beginning, which there is nothing wrong with. But By nothing wrong with, I mean it all starts that way. Where there's something wrong with it is if you have no um, idea of it because, again, like you said last week, you're not open to feedback. You don't surround yourself with people to learn from or to give you feedback. You're not open to learning like, hey, you don't know everything, so maybe you should – try to grow and and develop a little bit, that's when it's a problem. But at the beginning, everyone's not going to be as equipped as they are later into their career. So with that being said, we really need to make sure coaches understand that if they're struggling to break through with an athlete, it is up to them to learn how. Because progress can be gained, it just might not look like how you got it with someone else. And, and, and that's that's really what I want to talk about, and the different ways we've gone through it in the past, the different things that have worked for you, um, educational sources that could be beneficial. That's what I want people to kind of get from this talk.
1: Yeah, it's, it's a tricky subject. And like you talked about educational sources, I'm sure there are plenty of resources out there Um, Well, there's
0: infinite resources out there. That's the thing that irritates (laughs) me about this kind of stuff is, you know, infinite resources.
1: Yeah, and they're probably underutilized, and I say that because I am guilty of that. Mm -hmm. I would say most of the coaching improvement that I've had throughout my career has been related to exposure to other coaches Mm -hmm. and seeing how that's done. I've gone through, you know, maybe a handful of audiobooks and such that talk about performance psychology and and ways to make relationships better but it's like we've talked about it's on the coach to implement that and from my experience it's been easiest to follow along with more experienced coaches and you can get more experienced coaches in terms of years that have been doing it that may not actually be better at it than you are but hopefully that's not the case um
0: well even even like let's just make this super vivid i think uh, and i don't mean to interrupt it's just you're on some you're on something right now that i want to really make sure people are understanding what we're talking about let's say um Okay, the almighty Bible of strength and conditioning is obviously the Essentials of Strength and Conditioning, published by, is that a human kinetics textbook?
1: Um, that Who cares? Is the, the NSCA. Yeah, the
0: NSCA's. Yeah, human kinetics. Human, published by Human Kinetics, uh, the Essentials of Strength and Conditioning. Obviously, there is no other textbook held in such high regard uh, when it comes to everything strength and conditioning than that textbook.
1: Yeah, you've got two different copies over here. Yeah, that's right. It's so good,
0: I've got it twice. With that being said, okay, do you think you would learn more when it comes to strength training in particular than reading that book and passing that test or spending a month with Louis Simmons when he was alive, God rest his soul, Westside Barbell and there is no certification uh, to be gained from it. You just spend time shadowing and watching him and then oh god forbid if he made you lift um, <laughs> while you were there. But do you think you would come out more educated spending time with Louie at his gym in Ohio for a month or reading and passing the CSCS or personal training exam by the National Trade Conditioning Association? What that, would be more beneficial?
1: That's a really loaded question. Oh sorry. Um,
0: it was completely unintentional. <laughs>
1: So I think there's the immediate thing that jumps to your brain is, to my brain anyways, would be spending the time with that coach. So a month with Louis Simmons, you know, one of the premier powerlifting coaches of the world for the vast majority of his life. Um, running Westside Barbell, which is you know the, called the strongest gym in the world, set more powerlifting world records than anywhere else. And
0: I don't know if you know this, but they were on uh, performance enhancing supplements, so none of that's uh, real or uh, <laughs> that's it, does, right. it doesn't count.
1: I wonder if his athletes ever had coachability issues <laughs> and what what his response was to that. Um, but I, I say it's a tricky question because. You would probably learn so much in that month with Louie, but it's very specialized, too.
0: Which which is fine. So you do yeah. that with a lot of different people in all yes. of their specializations, and you have the, that education to back <laughs> it up, right? Because that, that provides some sort of baseline yeah. to then build off of. I'm not saying it's worthless. I have the textbooks there because I took the courses, and I, you know, I have my um, CSCS from the National Strength Conditioning Association. So... Obviously, I'm an expert, but what I'm saying is I'm not trying to say that stuff is worthless. I'm trying to say that with no certification whatsoever, you said surround yourself with other coaches is something you didn't do as much, but it's what you think you have the most benefit from, and I could not agree more, and that's the kind of point I was making with, obviously, yes, that very loaded question. The coaches I see struggle with this the most. A, they often just haven't worked with enough people, and they're just newer B, which A, you can't really do anything about except for keep doing it, right? B, they don't surround themselves with other coaches. You Whether they're elite, Louis Simmons-level coaches or not, or just other coaches, you can learn what to do when you watch other coaches. You can learn what not to do. You can learn from your clients. Oh, this cue didn't work for them, and I had to say it like this. N- nobody taught you that. That's just experience, right? So... I think an an underutilized resource is literally just being around other people who do what you do.
1: I think that's a great point, and it literally just came to my mind that a lot of the best coaching teams, or yeah, I said it right there, coaching teams are where you see the most performance improvements. So it's not typical to see coaches as standalone, Right. Like, Louie is kind of a an oddball in that he is seen as, like, the single man that ran that gym and was the coach. Right. Where, like, you look at all kinds of other things. Um, another barbell example is Glenn Pendley and Dave Spitz from Cal mm-hmm. Strength. Like, obviously, Dave Spitz is still at Cal Strength. He's still doing a lot of work there, but it was is that still producing Olympic level athletes. Exactly. Well, like they were huge and everybody in weightlifting knew Cal strength when it was the two of them together.
0: Right. And, and also, um, the, and it wasn't always the smoothest situation, but that the two of them specifically in that situation, Pendlay and Dave, worked as a team and both had their strengths and both had their weaknesses, both had their style and both had people that would look to them or lean on them for different things. But also the inter there are I would say the like intra team coaching, the lifters coaching other lifters and 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 learning from people who were doing what they were doing but maybe a little different or who thought about it differently. Just the the exposure to that collaborative environment.
1: Yeah, it's it it becomes less of a top-down relationship and more of a familial environment, essentially, Mm -hmm. where you're having a large interaction, a large, important, and deeply involved interaction between multiple athletes, athletes and coaches, coaches and coaches. All of that, I think, goes into this.
0: Yeah. Well, okay, so, okay, This is all like a theory and and, and that like the theoretical cloud that's floating over this whole thing, right? And and it's important to identify what it is we're talking about. But let's get super practical and talk about, okay, you've got an athlete on the floor. And let's just say it's a functional fitness or a CrossFit facility. And, you know, we're doing – let's take all this theory and put it into practice or give some guidance on how maybe we've done this before. All right. So you've got an athlete on the floor and they're learning the power clean. Semi-complex movement. You know, you're asking them to move some pretty heavy weight, relatively speaking, for them uh, quickly, going from the floor up to the shoulders pretty high. It's super dynamic, very explosive. It has to be done a certain way to maximize the performance. And they're just not getting it, And every time they come in, they have the same problems. And you tell them, the same thing every time, and they're like, oh, this guy's a pain in the ass. He, 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 he's not listening to me. If I'm looking at this from the outside, and I'm going to say, how many times are you going to keep telling them to do the same thing, and them not respond, and you continue to get frustrated with them? Maybe you say it, and then you say it again. You say it louder, and then you say, oh, no, 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 but you emphasize something in particular, and You you think it's the athlete's fault, in terms of their inability to respond,
1: and I'm here to say that is not the case. The horse is not the athlete. The horse is the coaching cue.
0: Right, right, and exactly. So when somebody's failing to respond to a cue, the last thing you need to I mean I'm not saying you can't say the same thing one more time to make sure they understand it or you weren't sure if they heard you or something like that. I'm saying somebody's lack of a response to cues is the cues problem, not the athlete's problem. And what I would say is first things first, if I work with somebody, this is going to be my first, um, my first piece of advice for somebody dealing with this situation. Um, first off, you have to care enough to, that should stick with you. okay? If I'm working with somebody and they're not progressing or they're not getting what it is I'm talking about, you know, we make very little improve, improvement, if any. What, at some point, right, with it, without it being safe, uh, a not a not safe situation, we're we're gonna probably move on, right? We're not just gonna keep doing it forever. I'm gonna get through that training session, and when that training session's over, it, it's gonna be I care enough about why that went that way to say, okay, I've got to explore maybe some other ways to get through to this athlete, and I'm gonna go read, or Google something or YouTube that situation and I'm going to find some other ways that other coaches have dealt with this. And then when I see that person again, the first thing I'm going to do is try to address that situation with a new technique. But you have to care enough about that interaction going that way to even think about it later on. That's what I would do first.
1: Absolutely. If you don't care about it, this is a, it's a matter of, empathy for the athlete I think and your your relationship with them like we talked about kind of get trying to get out of the theoretical stuff you have to have enough of a relationship with your athlete for it to to weigh something for it to mean something Mm -hmm. you know if they're not getting better if they're at risk for something Mm -hmm. hopefully if they're at risk for an injury like you said you can either work your way out of that or you can move on and come back to it and you're not just letting them continue to work towards something that might be risky. Yeah. Um but there's certainly cases where stuff like that does happen and it's like they're not getting it. We're just gonna let it go for today. You keep working at it the same way. Or you, you push doing it down
0: it. for the next coach to deal with or yeah, something like that. Exactly. You
1: know. <laughs> and so you as a coach have to have the the empathy and compassion for that athlete to make sure that they do see some improvement yeah a lot of times I think that requires further research to kick it back to last uh, podcast we did talking about relationships with other coaches and other professionals mm-hmm. you know if you can't find something find someone else that can help them mm-hmm. like as a physical therapist I might have some overlap with an occupational therapist but I don't do the exact same things Mm. if someone needs an occupational therapist and I can tell that they're not quite fit in my skill set it's my job to find them an occupational therapist Mm. maybe refer them say I've seen or heard good things about this person let's figure it out right not well I'm gonna do my best and we'll we'll figure it out but what happens happens
0: right so the root of all this is just there's a certain level of give a shit you have to have and I mean coaching is coaching is fun and people think about oh you spend all day in the weight room like that's so fun it's still work and by work I mean you have to get personally invested in everyone getting better and also not getting hurt in your weight room so if you're continuing to work with somebody And they're not improving, and we haven't yet identified them as one of these people who have maybe an attitude issue or some sort of authority issue or you know lack of desire to get better. They want to get better, and you're not connecting with them. You're not breaking through to them, and they're just as upset about it as you are. And they're not having improvement. You have to care about that. Because a, you should be a coach because you want to help people improve their performance. It isn't about making a million dollars or millions of dollars. it's not about you just want to spend all day in the weight room. you are a coach to help people get the best out of themselves. and so if that situation, that lack of ability to make progress doesn't stay with you, maybe you shouldn't be doing this at all. but again, whole nother conversation so that that that's the first thing I would do is is I would. Have that interaction once, no more than twice, before I'm going to look for alternative ways to break through to that athlete for that specific you. So let's say I come back now, uh, or let's talk about different ways you do that. The main thing you just said is, obviously, you could be getting ahead of that thing and spending time with other coaches to be what I always refer to as building your toolbox, and, and, and I'm going to say this probably another 20 times before we end this podcast, but when I talk about your toolbox, it's okay, this is my biggest pet peeve when it comes to coaches. They want to be fitness professionals or strength and conditioning professionals, and all they do is the shit that they like that worked for them. When I think about that, like doing something that just worked for them, I mean, whatever they do for strength conditioning or whatever they found success with, that's the end all be all. That's their holy grail. That's what they push to their athletes. And they have no ability. um, And it's even worse if they have the ability, but they have no desire to try things outside of what's in their specific wheelhouse or what they specifically enjoy, right? They only do what they like, or what has worked for them. So uh, it's my biggest pet peeve. And when I talk about building the toolbox, I'm talking about learning as much as you can, being exposed to as much as you can, and understanding a, a wide variety of things as best you can so you can implement that thing for the best. This happens with diets all the time. People say, oh, that diet's bullshit. It's not... Th- you. How can you say that when you know it's worked for hundreds of thousands of people, but you don't like it because it doesn't work your certain application or this person you saw? You're not widening or deepening your toolbox. So that could work with understanding different methodologies. That could under uh, understanding different dietary protocols. And it could also uh, have to do with you having 20 different ways to get an athlete on their damn heels, right? a bunch of different cues to fix the same issue because if i tell one person lift your toes they could rock back the other person it shifts their weight in their heels the another person just doesn't know what i'm talking about like you have to build a wide deep toolbox and not get so caught up on well if they don't respond to how i do it then something's wrong with them
1: yeah, it's not about what the cue is, it's a matter of the end result. Mm-hmm. The end result what you're looking for, you need to have enough tools to get there because the same tool is not going to work for everybody. Mm. Uh, if you try to, you know, it's not like actual tools in a toolbox because mm. usually those jobs do, those tools do one specific thing, they typically do them well, mm. and it works on pretty much every application. Mm. You know, that's not the case with human beings. We're much more complex Mm -hmm. than that. If you don't develop your toolbox, and this could be in any number of ways. Like, we just listened to uh, a CrossFit uh, slash powerlifting coach talk about application of zone two cardio to improve his athletes when he primarily ran the conjugate system Mm -hmm. from Louis Simmons, uh, which is... Typically known as a powerlifting thing, mm-hmm. but he continued to learn and find ways to improve the performance of himself and his athletes by using what most people would say is a crazy thing to do for powerlifters and adding in tons of long cardio.
0: Yeah, because it was a different application, and he and he also he learned that by experimenting and trying the program himself, right, which gives you a better understanding, but. I mean, this goes as deep as... I I heard this explained the other day. So there are... um, Again, I have been... I have said this on this podcast before several episodes ago where I talked about um, formal higher education. And I said, you don't have to be a PhD to make somebody better. With that being said, you have to have a foundational understanding of the physiological response to exercise, right? And how... That has to also be molded to the individual because, like you said, nobody's the same. People don't respond to training the same. So therefore, you might have to adjust the way you do things. With that being said, there's a difference between somebody who has that foundational, formal understanding and education because it kind of lets them know what the parameters are. And that there might be some individualization that has to happen. Versus like, hey, I'm some Instagram trainer and I'm saying everybody needs to shove their knees all the way over their toes. And if they do it like this, they're going to have massive success. Like that's just a person who's throwing out this plan to as many people as possible and for half of them it might work. So therefore now he's famous. What about all the other people that it did not work for? with that being said, that wasn't uh, meant to be a deliberate shot at anybody. It just luckily worked out that way. Um, with that being said, um, the formal education helps. Like I went back to school to learn, yes, but I also went back to school and I also got the certification from the NSCA and do all the check all the boxes so that all the other things I learn that aren't coming from necessarily those institutions have some weight to them so when I say hey let's try this it, it's a um, Jeremy Graves uh, coach who has a master of science in human performance and the CSCS and a CrossFit level three and you know this and that and that it carries some weight but I can guarantee you most of the tools that I put in my toolbox did not come from me achieving those things in particular
1: yeah the same same idea um goes for improving your toolbox. You know, if you you can go about education and learn about these different things, you might pick up some new things. I think what happens more often with the formal higher education or going through credentialing agencies and things like that is that you maybe develop a better understanding of why you already do something or don't do something. Right, right, right. Um, so you may you probably already have those tools before going into higher education if you have some kind of experience already.
0: Right. Like when, I mean, when I went and did the masters, which was late in my career, I mean, I'd already been doing this for ten years. It helped me understand. It's not like I was like, oh, I'm I'm going to do everything different now.
1: Yeah, I you didn't, already... go, you didn't go through your masters and go, I'm going to stop doing CrossFit now because no, no I certainly didn't because no. it doesn't fit the traditional strength and conditioning coach model that has been put out for the past 50 years yeah which
0: we'll get which we'll get into that later because i've got a big bone to pick with that because the the people who are most outspoken about oh crossfit doesn't fit this traditional model they're usually the people who know the least about it and every person who has a foundational understanding of strength conditioning or has some formal education and then they go and take crossfit courses that we put on from crossfit they always come back saying i was actually quite impressed about the way and that's just the level one I was impressed the way they broke this down and explained this and implemented this and discussed that. So that's a whole nother discussion. But those formal education, um, higher education, uh, certifications, credentials, they give some weight to the experience that you can get on your own without that. Even... Like for YouTube, uh, there. listen, there is a ton of bullshit on YouTube. Uh, we know that. Like there is a ton of, uh, of stuff on there. You'd be like, hey, you see that video? don't do that. But with that being said, there is so much information on there that is wonderfully put together and extremely helpful. And I used to spend hours at night. I went when I was a new coach. Just watching videos after video after video, reading article after article, and doing all this stuff on my own because I was so desperate to build my toolbox because I wanted to be as good as the people that I was always going to shadow or be around or wanted to be as good as
1: yeah, I think that's a really great point, like where you get your your information and your your toolbox from is is hugely variable Mm -hmm. like I didn't use YouTube as much I mean I use it a ton for repairing my house repairing my car and (laughs) things like that anytime something breaks I'm like I'm going to YouTube
0: well your car needs plenty of it so you you probably have a premium (laughs) subscription just to how to repair a camera,
1: YouTube plus or whatever it's called (laughs) Um, but no so there's there's so many resources out there And it's important to not just limit yourself to, as you talked about, like doing the things you like. Mm -hmm. Um, Don't just look at resources that you like. Mm. Like, challenge yourself. Like, sometimes I hate it, but Instagram is both great and terrible. Yeah. Like, just like you said about YouTube, like, I follow some really, really fantastic research based physical therapists. They post, like, they cite the articles that, Mm-hmm. in their oh, each dude, one of their posts
0: social media and its impact or influence influences of anywhere because that's what we call them right influencers social medias i don't mean to go off on a tangent i'm going to try not to i'm just bringing the addressing this point uh, like it is the fucking worst and, and by that i mean like everyone who has quality information as it pertains to performance Fitness, health, wellness, quality information gets totally washed out by the bullshit. I know women who are fit as hell, strong, capable, badass, awesome women, but if they're not wearing the tightest leggings up their butt, and a sports bra, and tanned, and like lifting at the right angle, they get no attention. But girls who are completely unfit and have no athletic performance accomplishments to speak of, but who wear the right outfit and film it the right way, are seen as these, like, you want my results? Look at me. Well, guess what? With the right lighting, and the right cameraman, and the right outfit... A lot of people can look like, "Hey, my program works," and that gets a lot of views. So I, see, now you got me all on the social media thing. I did. Right? Some of the dumbest <laughs> shit is the most popular stuff yeah. on social media. Why'd you get me? See, now we're on this Cause, whole thing. Because
1: sometimes you got to do. This is the thing about coaching and getting better at coaching. Sometimes you have to do a deep dive. Yeah. And you have to. Well, because
0: people will ask you about it. Yeah. Hey, I heard. I heard about this knees over toes guy, and, and should I really? And you're like okay, dude,
1: take a step back. Let's slow down. Yeah. Yeah. Let's let's deconstruct. Maybe not a bad idea, but maybe it is a bad idea. We need to figure it out for you. Maybe it's
0: good. Maybe it's bad. Let's talk about the history of what's going on with your knee. Let's talk about, you know, it's just, it it gets, I like the idea of being connected to a certain extent because this is, people will bring this stuff to you and maybe you should be aware of it to be able to essentially deconstruct it or say, Hey, Yeah and let's be real here. Hey, yeah, that's a great idea. We can try that because, hey, if if it gets you excited and it's going to keep you in here, then let's try it. But most of the time you need to know it's out there so you can tell people like, hey, here's maybe why we're not going to use this for you right now.
1: Right. And Building your toolbox is just as much about saying why something's not a good idea for an athlete as much as it is let's do this for this athlete. Yeah, and and let's
0: take that back to what you said about education. When somebody – like, I don't think – I do not think there's anything wrong with you saying, okay, athlete, blah, uh, blah, 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 blah. We're going to do this, this, and that. Um, cool. And them saying, okay, hey, j- just a question. Why? You better know why. <laughs> you better or, know why. I think you should be able to answer why. Yeah. And, and if you answer it right enough times and you're actually getting them, I don't want to say enough times, but like if you can answer that and you're getting them progress, that that why stops happening real fast.
1: Yeah. That's true. I do think there is an okay amount of times, and this happens a lot with physical therapy, and there's just so much physiology stuff that happens in our bodies that no one really knows about yet. Right. Or I should say the vast majority of people don't know about where somebody might ask why. And it's okay to say, I don't know but the follow up to that needs to be I'll look into but i'll it. see if i can figure it out. Yeah, yeah,
0: absolutely. And and i'm not saying, you know, when some, when i say, oh, they ask you why. This is usually probably at the start of a relationship or you you start working with somebody and then they really start to understand you have a plan and a reason for everything you ask them to do and then after an amount a certain amount of time of them doing the things you've been asking to do they they experience a certain level of progress and it gets better and that that's not just movement related or exercise routine related or performance program related that dietary right suggestions that you make to them or any sort of thing you say hey i need you to do this i think it's okay for early on your athletes to say okay why what's the intent behind this and eventually they're going to stop asking like that asking that stuff cuz they're going to trust you
1: they're gonna trust you, they're gonna know that you have a reason behind what you're doing. That maybe maybe they're just genuinely curious people and they may continue to ask you that, and that's okay, that doesn't necessarily mean that they yeah. Some people are just inquisitive. Yeah, like they're just like they wanna know your relationship. Yeah. They just they wanna know because they wanna know. Yeah, I don't and, get
0: afraid of people asking me why.
1: Yeah, I don't I don't think you do, but I think there certainly are people that are that way.
0: Yeah, they don't want to be They Don't question me. Right. And, and that could be, you talk about red flags. I think that's a red flag and you don't know what the hell you're doing.
1: Right. To a certain extent. Yeah, or you've just got too much of an ego to mm-hmm. deal with whoever this person athlete is. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, to be able to answer those questions, answer them intelligently, but not you don't need to be so academic about things that people have no idea what you're talking about either yeah I think no that, that, that's like, we can go back to social media. I think that happens a lot because if you sound wicked smart about something yeah then people are like oh, I'll believe that because you know yeah. that sounds sciencey
0: yeah I, I think I'm safe from all that
1: <laughs> yeah I don't think you have to worry <laughs> about that too much
0: um, oh, okay so we're kind of wrapping this whole thing up in terms of like a, a coachability of an athlete. Uh, I want everyone, from my perspective, to think about it as, what can I do to change the way I'm trying to get this idea across the athlete? There's a lot of different ways to ask for an athlete to manipulate their spine. And there's a lot of different ways that don't often uh, come across as, this is uh, as straightforward as it seems. So the more you watch, the more you read, the more you expose yourself to, will give you more ways to get that idea across.
1: Yeah. If you want to improve your athlete's coachability, then you need to improve your ability to coach. It's it's going to be on you as the professional to make that improvement happen. And that's going to be through relationship building. It's going to be through your toolbox and your continued exposure to that athlete where you're trying. It's got to be effortful. It's got to be meaningful if there's going to be change. Yeah,
0: I, I can't tell you how much it, I agree with the thing you said early on today, which was basically just spend time with other coaches. I mean, I've learned so much. Being on – I get it a little bit I – mean, I mean, I put myself in this position. I worked for it. It's not like I was given it. But I get – You got that white privilege. Thing <laughs> <going>. <laughs> Don't, Levi. <laughs> I get with my job on seminar staff to be around amazing coaches I've been around a lot of trainers I've been around a lot of coaches I I, I, listen I've been around coaches who have coached Olympic athletes to medal in the Olympics and they aren't as good at in the moment seeing and correcting as the coaches I work with on seminar staff right and just because I get to spend every other weekend With three or four coaches who have been doing it maybe longer than me maybe not as long as me maybe way longer than me maybe the same as me even participants right but i steal stuff from them every single exposure how to correct this fault how to more quickly identify this fault how to program this it's this huge big collaborative theft fest
1: yeah, it's all about exposure. If you're if you wanna be the best you can be, you gotta have some exposure. And I think what you're saying about the seminar staff makes a lot of sense versus really sports specific coaches at a really high level because they've those sports specific coaches at a high level have probably been working with the same athletes or very similar athletes for a very long time. Yeah, it's exposure. Where the seminar coaches may not be working with the same coaches very frequently, right? and they're also working with a highly variable population right. at each one of those seminars. Right.
0: So it's a, it's a different... It's
1: like CrossFit for coaching.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, no, for sure. It's a different problem. And there's something to be said about the difference between, and we say this all the time, like there are plenty of amazing coaches that aren't on seminar staff because they are so great with working with long-term development with their population, but the quick, rapid... You know, speed of the seminar isn't really conducive to their style a whole different conversation but the point of that is exposure I'm exposed to so many different coaches and it's helped me build the toolbox so in closing this whole thing what I want to tell people is if you're finding that often you are feeling that people that you work with have a coachability issue or that they are not responding to what you're doing very well you're having trouble making progress with people and this seems to be a recurring theme specifically with certain types of movements build your freaking toolbox and you don't have to do it with expensive ways or spending money just go find people to watch i had somebody call me today or text me today excuse me asking for help with coaching development like, you know somebody who's doing this. Reach out to them. Reach out to us. Read a book. Buy a, an, an online book, a PDF. Go on YouTube. Spend time just shadowing coaches that you work in the same gym with. Just say, hey, can I watch you do your session? I'm just going to take notes. I want to learn. There are so many different ways you just got to put yourself out there and not be too big to do it.
1: I 100% agree. You got to put in the effort. You got to make your toolbox the best it can be. get what you expect out of your athletes or what your athletes expect out of you for sure
0: all right guys we appreciate it hopefully this helped with working with different types of athletes uh levi thanks i see some uh stubble on your head it's looking like it's time to bick that thing yeah
1: it's time to to shave it down and shine it up
0: yeah um it's 18 degrees here so up up where we live so i don't want any excuses on you know that hair getting long like that
1: that's right. It's it's unacceptable. I keep all my warmth on my face. <laughs> yeah. Beard's looking good.
0: All right, guys. We'll see you next week.